This is NFL.com's Coaches Show Podcast. 40 men together can't lose. This is why you lift all them weights. Everybody's driving out there. Nobody's got them. And now we're going. There's a gleam, men. There's a gleam. Welcome to the Coach's Show Podcast. Brian Billick here with Steve Mariucci to recap week two in the NFL. Have the Chargers built a blueprint to take down Richard Sherman and the Mighty Seahawks? And is there cause for concern for the now 0-2 New Orleans Saints? Plus, we chat with new head coach of the Tennessee Titans, Ken Wisenhunt, about developing his quarterback, Jake Locker. That and a whole lot more from Week 2 as the Coach's Show podcast starts now. Well, there's just so many great games to start with, but I guess we have to begin with the game where the reigning Super Bowl champ, the Seattle Seahawks, got beat all but on the road in San Diego. And this, you know, we've, it's been well documented, their struggles on the road as compared to home. Typically, it's when the West Coast team has to go to the East Coast, but they just had to go down the coast to San Diego on what was a brutally hot day. Did it say it was 115 degrees on the field down in San Diego? Are you kidding me? Yeah, I know it's San Diego. But it's still hot. Um, geez. And then, you know that, what are they, 9 and 8, Brian, uh, on the road in the last couple of years? And, but you got to remember, five of those losses were when uh, Russell Wilson was a rookie, and they were all five close losses that year, too. So they're still a good team on the road. They're a good team anywhere. But, boy, did the San Diego Chargers take it to them. They didn't back down. They scored on the opening drive, and nobody did that last year against uh, Seattle. And uh, Keenan Allen against Richard Sherman, what a matchup that was. Cal against Stanford, Brian. And so it, it was one of those... They took it to him, and, and, of course, Antonio Gates was sensational. Well, what jumped out at me was when we talked on Playbook, on the stage of Playbook last week, talked about going into this game, we had to go back. Because naturally, I think most people thought coming in that this was going to be all Seattle. But let's remember, San Diego, uh, on the road, beat Denver, ran to, for almost 180 yards, then went on the road, uh, to play Cincinnati in Cincinnati, a tough defensive team at home, almost 200 yards. My question going in was, were they going to be able to run the ball all but at home this way? They ran the ball very effectively in a way that we haven't seen many teams run against Seattle in that way. Yeah, and then Ryan Matthews, uh, who's a good player for them, got hurt. And then Danny Woodhead, he's a heck of a little back, isn't he? And so uh, the thing that they, they did, though, Brian, as you know, is they converted third downs. They, they converted 10 third downs, which gives a team more minutes of clock time. And that was the difference in this game, 42 minutes. About, I, I can't possession. remember the last time I saw a team have, a, have the ball for 42 minutes. Against the best defense in the in right. the world, okay, and and uh, or the league right now, and so uh, you know my hat is off to San Diego. That's the biggest defeat that the that, that these guys have suffered on the road in years, and they they deserve it. They earned it. Um, when you keep Marshawn Lynch and Percy Harvin and Russell Wilson over on the sideline, right next to those big fans, blowing the ice water on them and everything to keep them <laughs> to keep them cool, um, that's the best way to stop these guys. And so uh, San Diego's not going away. Mike McCoy's done a nice yeah. job over there. Playoff team last year, right? Yeah. And it looks like a it looks like a playoff team again this year, no doubt. Marshawn Lynch looked from my money, a little too comfortable in that spray booth, you know, where they had the, he, he, he didn't mind <laughs> being on the sideline with all that, uh, that cool air coming towards him. The other thing that jumped out at me, we all admire what they've done defensively. I'm talking about Seattle and the fact that 
They remind me a little of my, my Super Bowl team in, in Baltimore where they tackle so well in the open field. And that's what jumped out at me. They, they were not tackling well yesterday. And, in fact, uh, they made hey, They didn't mind going at Richard Sherman. The week before, we saw Aaron Rodgers kind of say, you know what, we're not going to test him. They weren't afraid to go after uh, Richard Sherman a little bit. Now there's a little bit of banter back and forth about how well sure. he did and they're having at it. But what jumped out at me a little bit was how they attacked him underneath the basketball on grass mentality, little guy on the bigger guy, that's where they seem to try to attack him. The Eddie Royal running shallow crosses and pivots down in there, that seemed to give him a little bit of a problem. Well, Richard Sherman, as you know, is a tall, long guy that likes to get his hands on you, whether he's playing man or zone. And uh, it, it, not just the Eddie Royals and the quick little guys, but this Keenan Allen kid um, caught three passes in the first half against them right now. And then, of course, they're tweeting back and forth, you know, and all that stuff. Um, but that's that Cal Stanford matchup. And I'm sure there was no love lost over there. You were a Stanford guy, weren't you, Brian, for sure. a while? Uh, although although yeah. Richard Sherman, like me, is used to that being a little one-sided when they were there. Because we never lost a cow when I was there. I, mean, I don't think had, he lost you, you a cow. You saw the axe? You saw the axe? Saw the axe. I had it in my office. <laughs> <laughs> I just let it sit. It was a paperweight. Um, <laughs> That's good. But, but in, uh, the other thing, obviously, that when you look at, uh, let me ask this. Because you always hear this, and I always kind of bristle up and go, no, nah, you're nuts. But are we seeing a little bit of a template? Are people going to say, oh, okay, now we know how to play those Seattle Seahawks? Yeah, I don't know. I, you know, good luck. You know, if you, if you want to go after Richard Sherman right. all day long. <laughs> Give it a shot. God bless. Go ahead. Knock yourself out. You know, the guy's got 16 interceptions in the last two years. That means people are trying to throw the ball over there somewhat. And, you know, he usually wins. And so, you know, the, the, that's not where the Chargers beat them. I mean, we talk about it because Aaron Rodgers didn't throw at uh, Richard Sherman at all. But they won the game because nobody could cover Antonio Gates. Yeah. And so, you know, he's such a, he's such a mismatch for, for DBs or linebackers because of his skill set. That's where they won this game in the red zone with Antonio Gates. They, they, there was just a little frosting on the cake saying, hey, we didn't shy away from Richard Sherman either. So I, I think that's, that's why we're talking about it. Richard Sherman is a great player. We all know that. Right. But let's remember now, this is a Seattle Seahawks team that when they played New Orleans in the playoffs – shut out Jimmy Graham. So I don't know whether it was it a change in emphasis. They thought their linebackers could keep up with this 34-year-old tight end. Did they? No. It, it obviously had to be a different plan because they just flat out snuffed out Jimmy Graham. And you're right, Antonio Gates was the difference in that game. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. And, I mean, do you ever remember when you were coaching your guys, Brian, that, uh, you, know, you know, the Aaron Rodgers thing surprised me about not going after uh, Sherman. Uh, Richard Sherman at all. I remember doing that one time in my whole coaching career. I coached 29 years, and there was one time where I, I grabbed Favre, and I went, listen, see that number 21 over there? Yeah, he's, that was Deion Sanders. I said, he's really pretty good, you know. Let's maybe, uh, let's maybe think about the other side of the field most of the time. But anybody else, didn't matter who it was, let's play ball right. and read our progressions. But I, I forewarned him every time he came off the sidelines, stay away from 21, he's, he's dangerous, he'll make a play. But then Did that's you ever the, do that? That's a, but that's the difficulty, isn't it? Because we both were kind of reared in the same West Coast you know, system and the read progressions, like you said, and the drops. But in the read progression, how do you say, okay, stay with your read, stay with your progression, but ignore number one? <laughs> you know, well, how, you do, know, how do you but, say, okay, forget that, let's just go. How do you call okay. those plays if you're saying, okay, we're going to ignore our number one read? Well, I'm glad you asked me because I'll answer that question. 
Richard Sherman is a great player, but the difference between a Richard Sherman and a Deion Sanders is because Richard Sherman doesn't travel with the best guy. Right. So you can put your Jerry Rice or your number one or whoever you want on the other side of the field, and Richard Sherman is stuck against somebody who's running a clear route. Or, you know, it could be your backup tight end or whatever that is. Now, I saw him go over to the other side, you know, in trips formation against San Diego, but he likes to stay over there at the left, the defensive corner, and so you can game plan pretty much to stay away from him if you choose to. Call 23Z in, not 22Z in. Absolutely. Simple as that. <laughs> that's, cut, that's cutting a big part. And then your line coach is going, no, but we can't run 23 protection this week. <laughs> yeah, so now I'm yeah. going, okay, well, I can't go 22Z in and I can't go 23 protection. I'm screwed. <laughs> all right. Well, but, then run three jet flanker drive. <laughs> it, uh, it, uh, it was a heck of a game and a big win for San Diego. I think we coming in, we weren't absolutely sure if San Diego was going to be for real. Uh, and not that they weren't they not going to be good. Obviously, at home makes a big difference. Good for them. But uh, yeah, we're, we're, neither one of us are dismissing Seattle as we're going forward. Let's go to the other big game and one that is a surprise for us. At least it was for me. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Is the New Orleans Saints losing to the Cleveland Browns. And, and the New Orleans Saints, well, so many things in this game. Obviously, offensively, they're up and down the field. The New Orleans Saints defense, which was supposed to make a difference this year, looks pretty pedestrian right now to me. They made a difference last year when they changed to Rob Ryan. They went from the worst defense ever in the history of mankind to the fourth-ranked defense. And it was like, wow, what, what a miracle worker. And then they add a Jarris Bird, you know, the best safety available in free agency. Got Kenny Vaccaro back from injury. So. Kenny, yeah, and Kenny was a great rookie last year. And I thought for sure, Brian, that this, this team was really built to, A, win that division and then go deep into the playoffs. Now, they're 0-2. I'm sure they don't want to be 0-2, but they've lost two games now in the last 10 seconds. And, you know, they were, they're winning, and then, they, and then they, somebody kicks a field goal. And then, uh, so this is the best 0-2 team that we've seen in a long time. But I am a little uh, surprised that they did lose to the Cleveland Browns, and that's no disrespect for the job that Mike Patton's doing over there in Cleveland. But they are playing hard. They are playing well. I think Brian Hoyer's playing better than expected. And this team is fighting. So it, it's a good story right now. And we got Manziel over on the bench. Right. And, it, that's, and then he came in for a few plays. We got the Manziel package. That well, was interesting. We're going to talk about that in a minute because I have some questions about that. But I guess for me, for the defense in New Orleans, and you can't look at it in a vacuum, is that in the game one against Atlanta, and it's a tough rivalry, it's on the road, Matt Ryan had a statistic, I mean, he had an all-time best day. Mm -hmm. And they didn't get a lot of pressure years. on Matt Ryan. We now see Matt Ryan all but on the road go to Cincinnati, and Cincinnati just bombed him. Just, he couldn't get the ball off. So in reference to, well, you know, you know, if the one team can and you can't, and then in Cleveland, they really didn't get a lot of pressure on Brian Hoyer. New Orleans looks like a team to me that really can't get home unless they bring that fifth and sixth guy, and that's going to leave them a little vulnerable on the, on the back end. Yeah, in a perfect world on defense, you want to rush four and play coverage with seven, and then you have the best of both worlds. But, yeah, if you don't have four guys that can get there, then you got to help them. And so uh, we'll see if they can fix their problems. Typically, you know this, Brian, if a team doesn't have a lot of injuries – and you have some good coaches that have some experience at fixing problems, then, then they'll find a way. They'll find a way to get more pressure or, or, or do what they need to do to correct their, their mistakes with a self-scout. 
And, and good, good coaching staffs will do that. And I, I think the Saints will find a way to play better on defense, no doubt. Yeah, and I, I don't doubt that either. They are good coaches, and, and I think the expectations sitting here now at 0-2 have caught them a little bit. The emotion of this game. It uh, looked like the, the, uh, the, the intensity of the game got to uh, Sean and Rob Ryan a little bit. You know, Ooh. they burned up. What was that all about? Have well, you heard of that, what, what well, was that and, all about? And what surprised me was it wasn't, you know, as we know, the final drive. It was, what, a 10-12 play drive that Cleveland drives the length of the field and throws a little corner route to get them down and they kick the field goal to win. And had that, you know, six, seven, eight, nine plays in the drive, if that emotion would have burned up, I can see that. This was, they had him back on Before the four-yard line. Yeah. You know, and there was uh, the, the defense had jumped off sides, but they started jawing each other. Now, we've all, we've all had that. Let's talk a little bit about our experiences, <laughs> the emotion on the sideline, and how it sometimes it gets the better of you. Have you ever had a shouting match with one of your assistant coaches, though, Brian? Well, you know what? I, I you don't know me. I'm, I'm pretty. What well, you had Jim Mora now. So tell me you and Jim didn't burr up occasionally now and then. And... No, no. He, well, I had a lot of coaches that were nuts, and so did you. But I, you know, most most of my guys were professional enough to wait till halftime, wait till after the game, do do something where it's not on camera, have a dis, have a have a professional discussion, uh, private, whatever that is. Never, never in front of God and country. Right. Have I had a had a discussion? And- and you'll, dis- like that. you'll dismiss it as passion, I think, and that's what they're- it's no big deal. They say it's just game day. But I agree it with is. you. It Does the team tend to panic a little bit when they see, oh, boy. You know, the- I understand the way you address one another. It can get heated and that type of thing. And we both know that Rob, Rob is not one to be politically correct. You know, and he, where Rex, Rex would kind of, when I worked with Rex and he knew, okay, you're the head coach on a certain way I'm going to act. Rob doesn't seem to much care about that. And I know you're the head coach and I know you're the play caller, but if you're questioning my defense, I, that's not going to set well for me. And I don't know that what Sean was offering was particularly constructive. <laughs> and, know. What, you know, what's the purpose of it when you want to burr up at a coach <laughs> like that? Yeah, so I, 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 we should call Sean and say, what was that all about? But you know what? I've had a couple of those with some players now, have you? Oh, I've had oh, a couple. Sure. Oh, my God, I had Jerry Rice go cuckoo on me one time uh, our first season on national Monday night TV, uh, Monday night football, and and, uh, he went nuts, absolutely nuts. And the cameras caught him and all this kind of thing, and he was just, and then uh, towards the end of the game, he came up and he went, he grabbed me around the neck, he goes, I went crazy on you, didn't I? I'm like, yeah, you did. You're a looney tune, man. And so, but uh, those things don't usually last very long. You, right. you, you, get, you get through them and you laugh about them later on. But the heat of the moment. Hey, the sideline is oh. crazy. You Talk about emotion. They, My God. They've talked about like NASCAR <laughs> to draw fans into the stands. Let's, let's let the, you know, get the headsets for the fans. You know, like you oh. can listen to it at the U.S. Open and let's listen yeah. to the coaches' conference. Yeah, you don't want to do that. That's, uh, no. that's R-rated now. I'd be censored, yep. Let's talk about, obviously, injuries always huge. And I know every year, it seems like early on, we go, boy, it just seems like a lot more injuries than normal. And you look back, it's really no more than before. But it certainly feels that way when you see guys like A.J. Green going down. We've already uh, lost Mathis. I mean, the list goes on and on. Yeah. Let's talk about the big one, obviously, yesterday was RG3. And here we go again now. It's RG3's hurt. Kurt Cousin comes in and plays well. <laughs> We've seen this before. Let's talk this out a little bit. What's this mean for the Redskins going forward? Looks like he's going to be out between eight to ten weeks. Ouch. You know, in, in RG3, I love the kid. And he handled it. His press conference was very, very well. good, very, very professional. So was Cousins. Um, they're friends. 
they respect the heck out of each other. And so, you know, I just, I just wish RG3 would have been able to stay more healthy through his young career here. Anyway, let's move on to what's real. Kirk Cousins seems to play very well every time he enters the game. And, by the way, he was one of three Michigan State quarterbacks that? that won. Oh, I just I thought that I'd throw that in. Up. Brian I mean, Hoyer, uh, Drew Stanton, Drew Stanton and, and, yeah. and Kirk Cousins. And that? they were back-to-back-to-back to back to back at Michigan State, and I'm sure Mark D'Antonio smiling right now. The cradle of quarterbacks. And, you know, and none of them were in the first round. Right. You know, Hoyer wasn't even drafted. Anyway, so Kirk Cousins, you know – can he run the West Coast offense? Heck yeah. I mean, he's very good. Is he going to run as much zone read and, and have those kind of explosive plays? No. But he can function in this offense very well. He can throw from the run either way. He can throw from the pocket. He can manage. He's got enough arm. Um, he, he doesn't have a flair for the extravagant. He just plays within the system. And so he's going to be very functional in that Jay Gruden offense. There's no doubt in my mind he was good in Mike Shanahan's offense. So this is going to be interesting depending on how much Kirk Cousins wins and then RG3 comes back. Is it decision time, Brian? Having said that, we've seen this movie. And Kirk Cousins versus RG3 got the last guy, Mike Shanahan, with two Super Bowl trophies run out of town. I, we know that Jay Gruden, when he came in interview for the job, he didn't sit with Dan Snyder and say, here's my plan for Kurt Cousin. It was all about RG3, but you do, okay, does he fit, obviously, his ability to work from the pocket, and they go forward with that, and it's the same old, same old. Let's say they're doing pretty good. And now, when do you reinsert RG3? Let's say it's six weeks. Let's say he heals quick and he's ahead. But okay. you're playing pretty well. And you've structured, because we know it's a different offense with Kirk Cousins. You're not going to do some of the things as you alluded to. Let's talk about as head coaches how you dance that dance. Remember a guy named Drew Bledsoe? (laughs) And he was a starting quarterback and a top draft choice and all of that kind of thing. And he got hurt. Enter a kid named Tom Brady who was drafted in the sixth round. And Bill Belichick had to make a decision later when Drew Bledsoe was healthy and he decided to stay with the kid, with the youngster. And that was a huge decision to make, and obviously it worked out. Uh, but those kinds of decisions are why you get paid the big bucks. And this is not going to be, you know, Jay Gruden's not going to get fired because he makes, I mean, this is his first year on a long-term deal. Uh, Brian, have you ever had a, dis- a big decision like that when a guy got hurt? Do you play him when he comes yeah, back? Yeah, we had, we had one where uh, we had Chris Redman, who we taken in the draft, <laughs> And then we had an undrafted free agent, a guy we brought in, Anthony Wright. And it's a year that we ended up winning the division, but our starter goes down. And Redmond was the guy we were grooming, but, but it, it was apparent to us not for too long that, you know, I didn't know Chris Redmond was going to be very good. And here we got this undrafted guy, uh, a free agent, uh, Anthony Wright, who was better. And so it's, you know, we're sitting down and, and we sit down and they, okay, okay, well, so what are you going to do with Redmond? I'm going, hold on. I'm going to play the best guy. And the best guy, Anthony Wright. And, and, and it worked out okay. But those are hard conversations to have now because yeah, think about both these guys. We had this last year with Jay Cutler, right, and Josh McCowan, both mm-hmm. coming up on contract years, and they're going to have to dance that. Uh, and, and obviously they made the decision to go with Jay Cutler, even though Josh McCowan, 13 touchdowns, one interception. Same thing now. You got, you've given up all those draft choices for RG3. But now mm-hmm. let's say going forward that Kurt Cousin plays well. That added 
contract year situation adds another level to it to where this is going to be some hard-fought conversations. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's, there's sort of an unwritten law that a starter doesn't lose his starting job because of an injury. I, I, haven't, found that. I haven't found that law yet. I, I want to see where it's I written down. Mar- Marv Le- That's why I said it's unwritten, Brian. Marv Levy, <laughs> Marv Levy told me, he goes, Steve, my policy is that I don't have a policy. I'm going to play the best guy. You know, after a few weeks, I'll decide, if is this kid playing now better than what I had, or do I have to go back? Do I paint myself into a corner? I made that mistake one time by saying J.J. Stokes is going to get his job back because I don't want him to lose his job. Well, Ty Streets was playing better. So I I, kind of made a young rookie coach mistake by saying something like that. Hey, you play the best guy that's going to help your team win, and you make that decision each week. Yeah, that 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 uh, that playbook that says uh, the unwritten laws, like the lawyer saying a, a handshake is an unwritten contract. Well, it's worth the paper it's written on then, because you know <laughs> I, I still haven't found that. Let's let's transition because uh, we have a chance here. I'm going to have a chance to visit with someone else that obviously has to deal at the quarterback position. Jay Clarker got a chance to visit with Ken Wisnon here. And joining us now is the head coach of the one-on-one Tennessee Titans. Ken Wisnut, Coach, thanks for joining us. You know, in the NFL, you know better than anybody. It's week to week. You're, 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 you're sky high or you're down in the valley. You guys have a great opening week win and then obviously have a tough game against the Dallas Cowboys. Talk a little bit about how you take your team through that not getting too high, not getting too low, but still being competitive and passionate about what you're doing. Well, obviously, we didn't handle success very well. So I think you try to... You try to learn from that. It's one game. We really made an approach after Kansas City week to try to put that behind us and not get too focused on playing well in the first game. And um, we thought it would help us in the second game, and it wasn't as successful as we wanted. But I think at any time, you're going to face a situation like this in the NFL. That's what this league's all about. And it's really about how you respond to it. So this is a, our first time together as a team. This is our first regular season loss. So um, we've got to go through that, and hopefully we'll respond the right way. Is part of this, too, in that they this is the first time they've been with you? So they're still watching, okay, we saw how it is after a win. How is it going to be after a loss? I mean, you're very cognizant about that in terms of, okay, this is going to set the template for us going forward in terms of when we win and when we lose. That's a good, good point, and I think it is important with your football team. You've got to be careful about being too high or too low, just like you said earlier. But I think you've got to hold them accountable, too, because there were situations in yesterday's game where we didn't get it done, and it wasn't because um, Dallas played a good game, but it was more about us not executing our plan. And why did that happen? And then what do you have to do to address that? But it's okay for the players for the team to feel a little uncomfortable because obviously we didn't live up to what we were supposed to do in that game coach you're an old tight end so we we know how important tight ends are you don't have to convince us but Delaney Walker had a huge day for you guys 10 catches for 142 yards let's talk a little bit about how the play of tight end tight end playing an offense is really integral to in today's NFL it's a huge asset to have an athlete or a, a player like Delaney Walker Well, I think today's game is a lot about creating mismatches. And when you have a guy like Delaney that obviously he showed his speed yesterday, but it's got good hands, a good route runner that works as hard as he does in the blocking game, it can 
it can create some of those mismatches for you. So hats off to Delaney. He's worked very hard. And I think one of the things I've been most impressed about, he's a good receiver. He's got good speed. But he's worked really hard to block. And that's one of the things that makes you really valuable because now you can't target a guy as just a receiver. You know, Coach, I wrote about it this week on NFL.com about the tight end position and the way it's evolved. And uh, maybe I'm going too far. I'm interested in your perspective. You have the Jimmy Grahams, the world. He had 10 catches all but in a loss. Uh, Antonio Gates went off with three touchdowns. Delaney Walker, obviously big. Has it elevated because of the mismatches you're talking about? If It may be a silly question, but if you're in the draft and you have a tight end and receiver of kind of relative equal abilities given their position, could you actually see yourself taking a tight end over wide receivers just because of the elevated importance of having that kind of guy in your offense now? I think it really depends on your team. And if you, if you have a receiver or a tight end already, I think that's all part of building your team. But there's no question you evaluate those guys as far as what you think they can do from a standpoint of winning, of mismatches as we talked about and how important that is in your package. So uh, some teams place a lot of value on that. Maybe some other teams don't as much. I know from my standpoint of having worked with Antonio Gates and what a great player he was, and now certainly with Delaney, it's important to us. You know, your, your, uh, your quarterback situation with Jake Locker, a little like your team, you know, he had phenomenal first game, very efficient. Struggled a little bit yesterday. Uh, you've been, you're, you're now the quarterback whisperer, so to speak. You've worked with the Ben Roethlisberger, with a, with a Kurt Warner, what you did in San Diego with Phillip Rivers, different quarterbacks, different styles of play. Tell us about, given that experience that you had, which is very broad now, what your expectations are for Jake Locker. What does a finished, I know this is a ways off, but what does a finished Jake Locker look like? Well, I'm excited about Jake. He's shown that he can be efficient. He can be accurate. He definitely has an element with his feet that he can make things happen, especially if a team's a two-man team. Um, so, you know, I think we're, we're still working on what Jake does well, what he's comfortable with. Uh, we saw a lot of good things in the Kansas City game. And then yesterday, he did a nice job for us in the second half and made some good throws. So I'm excited about continuing to work with Jake and really kind of focusing in on where we're going to go with him. He's still fairly young. Is he still learning, even though he's been in the league for a while? Uh, he's been hurt, so he really only has about 19, 20 starts under his belt. He's still learning what it is to be in charge of that team? Oh, yeah, and I think you, one thing, too, Coach, you got to also recognize is that he's changed offensive systems a number of right, times. Right, and you, know, and, you know, that's always a tough process in itself. So... Um, yeah, you're right. I think it is 19, 20 starts for Jake. He's still a young quarterback from the standpoint of starts in the league. But um, he's experienced from a standpoint of what I really like about Jake is that he can relay what he sees, what he's thinking, and that's a good sign that he's processing things on the field. You're playing a very good Cincinnati team. Very impressive win, obviously, all but at home Cincinnati against Atlanta, who had just lit it up on, in, on you know, historical terms for Matt Ryan and then basically shut him down. I know you're just getting into it, but tell me a little bit about what you expect in Cincinnati. Well, a very balanced football team. they got a really good defense and a really good offense, and special teams, of course, they've got athletes. So I think you've got to be able to handle the pressure offensively, and you've got to be able to adjust their multiple looks defensively. So, you know, going in there, it'll be a tough place to play. We'll have our hands full. But 
The one thing that you're really excited about is, you know, this is one of the best teams in the league, and we get a great chance to see how we can match up against that. Yeah, you can set that benchmark. Coach, good luck in week three. We appreciate you taking the time. Coach Billick, great talking to you. All right. Well, Steve, we just heard a great comment by Ken Wisenhunt, and it, it intrigues me a little bit about this tight end versus wide receiver because we've got some really good ones right now. And it's changed the game a little bit because now you've got you to draft safeties higher than we normally used to in the day when you and I were doing it. It was tight end safeties. I'll take them later on. But you gotta, right. you, we, there's been 20 safeties taken in the first round the last few years because you've got to match these big guys. I'll put it to you. If, if, and, and Ken kind of answered it diplomatically. But if you had to choose between, I won't say superstar, but a first-round really good tight end or a first-round really good receiver, who do you take? And you probably need both. End. Yeah, probably the tight end. Yep. Now, if Meg Megatron's sitting there, yeah, okay, well, okay. Some, you but let's probably say, take them, yeah, Brian. But let's say they're equal at just given to, their positions. You probably go with the tight end, and I'll tell you why. The way we're throwing the ball so much now, this 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 athlete is a very very versatile guy in our offensive scheme more so than a receiver can be think about the tight ends that were you know the gates vernon davis the gronks and jimmy grams and then the lions drafted eric ebron the uh, 10th pick overall right and they're being used as uh, sometimes a, an inline blocker, tight end, run routes from there next to the tackle. They're being used more often as a slot or a wide receiver. They're being used inside. They come in motion and they're like a fullback in pass protection or running routes from the backfield now too. Um, once in a while they're in the kicking game, but not much. So the versatility and the usage of these, these athletes is so – he, he mentioned look for a mismatch. Well, this is where you can find the mismatch. You saw it with Antonio Gates a few times, and I think this tight end is so in vogue right now that I would I would tend to favor that position over a, just a good receiver. Yeah, four four of the top ten receivers in the league right now are are tight ends, and collectively they have more touchdowns than the wide receivers in that top end. So that I'm with you 100. percent I think the, the game, nature of the game has changed that a little bit. Uh, coach's show, so we got to talk about. We've already talked about Rob Ryan and. And, uh, and Sean Payton, all that. Let's talk about what happened in the New York Jet game, uh, the use of the timeout. Critical situation. Uh, the Jets are down a score. And here is uh, Geno Smith throwing what looks like a touchdown. And, oh, no, no, nope, nope, someone called timeout. And, and, and then, then Rex is looking like, well, who the heck called timeout? Uh, that got a little crazy. Well, Marty Morningwood called timeout. <laughs> and so, yeah, that was unfortunate because that tied the game, right? 31 all. And so now you can tell a story that happened to you and Rex a little while back, too. But, but here's the thing I think I, I, I'm waiting for a call from Mike Carey. I think the head coach is the only person on that sideline that can call a timeout to an official. That's how I believe it's supposed to be. And when assistant coaches call timeout, A, you shouldn't do that, or B, the officials should not allow it. Right. And, so, and so it was unfortunate. I don't know if Marty was trying to say that to the official or to Rex. Rex, call a timeout. Um, but all I know is it nullified a touchdown that would have tied the game, and it was unfortunate. It kind of caught Rex by surprise. Well, and you mentioned the time back in 2007. We're, we're playing the, uh, the New England Patriots when they're going on their – 16-0 run during the regular season. And we're playing them pretty well. And kind of, people kind of thought, even though we weren't very good that year, because of our defense, we might be the team that could finally beat them. They were at our place. It was, I think it was a Monday night. I'm not sure. 
anyways, uh, it's fourth and one. And, and, and they're going to go for it. And all of a sudden, Tom Brady, he's going to run a sneak, and we snuff him. And so we've won the game. But Rex <laughs> yep. had called timeout. And people, go, how Rex. can you imagine? Yeah, how can that have? It's interesting that it is Rex again. For me, as the head coach, I always allowed my defensive coordinators the right to call a timeout. Because what I didn't want to do is get caught. You know how it is. Defensively, they're a man short. They're in the wrong cover. Something's messed up. And you don't want – because, you know, if you make a big mistake on defense, it could be six. You make a mistake, wrong personnel, wrong formation, one offense, okay, it costs us five yards, and okay, that's fine. That's bad, but it's not a killer. So I always gave my defensive coordinators the right to if, – if you think you've got in timeout, if you're in a critical situation, you have the latitude to call timeout. Uh, again, so it wasn't, hey, coach, you know, you know and then we miss it, that opportunity. Well, uh, now what people don't realize is the officials blew the whistle. So would have Tom Brady – you know, did, did indeed their players, because the timeout had come, had their players stopped, did it change? They ended up getting a penalty, actually backed it up to fourth and six, and then the son of a gun converts it and marches down the field and we lose the game. But, but I allowed my defensive guys to do that, not my offensive guys. So when you were coaching, it was strictly that had to come out of your mouth. Well, you know what? I think I got a text. I got a text from Mike Carey. It's right, right here. Right from All the right, source. Let me show you right that. from the source. Yeah. So I asked Mike, can an assistant coach call a timeout, Brian? You might have been broken, breaking the rules. It says, only the head coach or any player uh, can call a, a timeout on the field, right? Only the head coach. So I don't know what you were doing with your uh, defensive coordinator. Well, it was illegal that was Ill- as usual. That was illegal. <laughs> but, so I w- I, let's play Johnny Top Story. So I was coaching the Lions at Dallas. And so the, one of our defensive coaches, I don't even remember who the heck it was, if, I don't think it was the coordinator, tried to call timeout because we were short. We were 10 guys on the field or some darn thing, right, misaligned. So he tried to call timeout. And the official turned around and, and, uh, and said, you can't call timeout, and, and, and they ran the play and this and that. So right before the half, they're kicking a field goal, and I tried to do what most coaches do. Oh, you do know, the old free- freeze. Yep. I tried the old freeze the kicker. So the official was standing right there, and I was standing right there. And, and I, as soon as he's lining up to kick it, I went, timeout, 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 timeout. And he, and he, wouldn't, he wouldn't call timeout. And, I, and then he kicked it, boom, made the field goal, like 50-some yards. And the time ran out for the half, and now I'm chasing that official, and I'm chasing Ed Hockley. I'm going, I'm trying to call timeout. You know, why don't you give me the timeout? He goes, well, I thought you were the same guy that was trying to call timeout earlier, and I didn't give it to him then. I wasn't going to give it to him now. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> because they can't see you sometimes, right, Brian. Right, because they have your you, back to it. That's you, why. Yeah, you have to go around. One time, I tried to do that. I tried to t- touch the guy. Hey. Hey, time out. He goes, don't, don't do ever that. touch me. Right, don't right. ever touch oh, me. I go, gonna, oh, my God. Hey, that cost you $25,000. I got, I, I got, I'm 25000 light in my back pocket for putting my hand on official. All but really? in a, an inquisitive, it wasn't in a malicious way. It was just You got fined? $25,000. How about way that? Way to go. Yeah. Yeah, I bet your wife was really happy with your, with your uh, behaving yourself you, on you, the sidelines you, after you, that fine. You know my daughter, Keegan. You ask her about that. She'll tell Ooh. you so. Coach, that was wow. fun. That'll do it for this okay. week's edition of the Coach's Podcast. You can go to NFL.com slash podcast to download these at your convenience.